0: Hey everybody and welcome back to your favorite summer podcast where we are discussing the musical genre of 70s folk rock this is summer forecast hive 70s and I am your host Tyler Henry who's really serving as kind of the subject I guess of this show um, where we are just documenting my own personal journey of Discovering this genre for the first time and listening to this music for the first time as a 25 year old. Alongside me is uh, my dear friend and our beloved co host, Nate Bebout. Nate, how are you today, buddy?
1: Doing excellent, Tyler. I'm looking forward to future podcasts where we broaden your food palette to include oh. European foods, um, Eastern Ukrainian foods. Those will be a fun mm. podcast. Uh, yeah. Podcast to expand your. Design and fashion sense will be. All of this is a project to get Tyler kind of up and running. So thanks yeah. for coming along for the journey, friends.
0: Yeah, that's true. We're yeah, we're still whiteboarding some of those ideas, um, <laughs> but I'm sure something will come out of it. Um, yeah, we're glad to be back. And uh, today we are talking about um, an artist that I'm extremely excited about, even before the series even started at the beginning of the summer when we were kind of scheduling out these different episodes. This is one that I was really looking forward to, um, uh, and that is the great artist of Jim Croce, who really was a an overnight sensation um, that kind of came up out of nowhere and, and took the folk rock scene by storm in the early 70s. Um, and, you know, I've just, I, I, again, I didn't know a lot of his music going into this, but Um, he does obviously have a few songs he has more than a few but I I personally knew of a couple um, and I I really enjoyed them and we'll talk about those later but yeah I've I've been really looking forward to this because I think he's just a great artist with a a great voice and a great um, guitar playing ability and so I would love to just throw it to you Nate as we usually do with uh, your Nate's first thoughts when it comes to Jim Croce what comes to mind for you
1: Jim Croce is um, a unique talent he is really gifted guitarist and singer and songwriter. So he's kind of got the the all three thing going. He also is obviously a very hardworking guy. He creates three albums uh, very, very quickly that are full of amazing songs. And the songs are at times very uh, fun and kind of a little more... I wouldn't say poppy than the the, I mean, there's definitely a rock influence there, yeah. but maybe more a little upbeat than some of the artists that we've done on this for sure. Yeah, um, there's a fun twangy ragtime sea shanty feel to some of his tunes uh, that is really infectious, and all in all, it's fun music to listen to. Some of the yep. some of the artists we've listened to are are serious and reflective and and certainly enjoyable, but. But Jim Croce is fun. Uh It's a fun time. You can imagine yourself going to see him in a bar and just having a blast, you know, listening to his songs and singing along. So uh, I'm a huge fan. I think his his work is incredible and uh, definitely enjoyed listening to more of his catalog preparing for the show.
0: Yeah, I definitely, uh, hear that and, and, and agree whenever you see, um, just old videos or interviews of him and they, and they catch him playing songs live. Um, he's always smiling. Like he's singing through a, a smiley face and, uh, he's just like one of those, it seemed to be such a, a welcoming presence. Um, and like, uh, you know, he was beloved by, by so many, um, and, you know, he is, uh, he is one of, I believe he's probably the first artist that we've done on this show who has actually passed away. And we'll talk about that a little bit mm-hmm. um, later, which is, you know, that's why we're using words in the past tense. He had a tragic, tragic early death, which we will talk about later. But um, yeah, just talk about a guy who um, had a, a, a very short musical career and has left such a huge imprint on on the world of music Um, and again, yeah, he just seemed like such a happy, welcoming guy. Um, And so he released his first album um, called You Don't Mess Around With Jim in 1972, which that will be the album that we'll be discussing with our guests later on the episode. So uh, we won't dive in too deep to that right now, but that is really what, you know, um, how he came onto the scene, which is so funny to me because he's just another artist Um, in the line of the different episodes that we've done on this show where their his first album is phenomenal right and it's so funny that like there are so many of these different artists that were coming up in the 70s who they wasted no time their first album was just uh, you know some of their biggest hits and Jim Croce is you know, he falls into that category as well. So you don't mess around or you don't mess with Jim mess around with Jim came out in 1972. Um, and it's cool to see that that really came, um, after years and years of living the starving artist lifestyle. Right. Right. I, we see that he gets married super young to his wife, Ingrid, and mm-hmm. they actually try to launch a musical career, um, as a duet, it was called Jim and Ingrid um, Croce. They tried to release music as, um, you know, just a, a couple, and it just didn't take off. And, you know, they were traveling everywhere, and they were trying to do as many different bar gigs and small venue gigs, and um, they were making no money. Uh, it wasn't taking, and eventually they got dropped by their, by their record label. And so in an attempt to make money, he actually signs on with his eventual record um, as just an employed songwriter, right? Mm-hmm. He just, he wanted to write, he was writing songs because he needed to put food on the table. Um, and eventually he, uh, I guess you could say he was decided to be selfish, but that's kind of a funny word to throw on it just because he was giving so much of his stuff away and his family was still he and his wife were still, you know, pinching pennies. And so he finally decides like, if I'm going to be releasing this music, it's going to be under my name and I will be yeah. the artist. Right. Um, and that's how we got, you don't mess around with Jim, mm-hmm. um, which is like a funny, yes, it's the, you know, the name of like the title track on the album, but also <laughs> it's just like a, he was tired of getting pushed around in the industry and he was like, no, I'm going to release his first album. Cause you don't mess around with Jim. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really, really like that about him
1: yeah his story is so like this is what happens when you take a hard-working blue-collar guy and give him just an incredible amount of musical talent right yeah. like he uh he grows up in philadelphia uh he's got italian immigrant family um and he just is a really kind of really hard working nose to the grindstone kind of a guy um and so when he decides, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really make an effort to to do this music thing, he sits down at his kitchen table and in 10 days time he writes the vast majority of the songs yeah. that are in Don't Mess Around with Jim, which is an amazing album. And so you just think about that, like this wasn't, you know, years of him collecting the best of his stuff. Yeah. This was like I'm going to make an album. And he sits down and he writes a bunch of songs, many of which are incredible. Um, and then he goes and does it. And yeah, he works so hard. He's playing, he's playing at coffee shops, he's playing at bars and like, it's all about just getting his name out there. So sometimes he's making 20 bucks to yeah. go play a three hour set at the bar, but he does it night after night, after night, after night, he just keeps on pushing. Um, and, and even as he is starting to get, success um between 1972 and 1973 when he passes away uh in that year he played 250 shows i mean like that is insane that is a incredible so it's that like an amazing talent plus a wild work ethic equals even though his music career is short we've got a ton of music Mm -hmm. from him in that time
0: yeah, we see that work ethic you kind of plugged it as well that you know before um when he was still just you know a starving artist we can call him before he's signed on as a uh, as a writer at the record label um he he was a blue collar worker he was a semi truck driver he was a truck driver you know he worked at a at a, a dirt car track Uh, You know, he worked with coal miners, he worked with, I mean, this was just a guy that just needed to provide for his family. And he took so many just hard, tough jobs. Um, And that's why eventually, uh, as as the star that he eventually became, he was, you know, lovingly described as the working man's artist. Because as you, I mean, he was friendly to all of them. So he was like, literally friends with so many of them. But also, his songs and the stories that he told uh, were just his own personal experiences. And he was telling some of his coworkers stories and um, being able to relay that into a song was just, you know, it's so relatable um, to a group of people who seem to be um, so disconnected from the celebrity lifestyle. Uh, Jim Croce kind of served as that bridge. Um, And so like he was beloved by the, the, the snobby celebrity class as well as the hardworking coal miners in the blue collar class. Um, and I think that's why a huge reason why his legacy has lasted as long as it has.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, he, he does all these blue collar jobs. He's a carpenter at one point and he writes music that speaks to that experience. You know, there, uh, a lot of the song, well, at least a couple um, of his, of his hit songs, are inspired in part by some of his time at basic training and interacting with different, you know, colorful characters, uh, along the mm-hmm. way. Um, but yeah, there, there seems to be, uh, he is not a prima Donna. He's on the opposite end of whatever, whatever that spectrum is. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Uh, he, he actually, uh, during his time in, in the limelight, he toured, uh, for a year with the singer songwriter, Randy Newman. Mm. and randy newman described him uh as like as down to earth as could possibly be and a genuinely modest human uh and i just love that because obviously that comes through and if you are in the middle of creating albums with hit songs and you know being played on the radio nationally and you're still playing 250 shows a year that obviously communicates that you have not gotten so full of yourself that you are somehow uh, disconnected with just the grind of, of getting out and performing.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, We see that uh, again, even as he becomes a star and comes onto the stage, he has this very simple farmhouse in you know, rural Pennsylvania where he and his wife live and they eventually have a son. Um, AJ who has now also turned and followed in his uh, father's footsteps and he's turned into a recording artist um, himself, which is really Mm -hmm. cool. Um, But they live in this, you know, very modest, humble farmhouse. And just to continue this motif that we've seen through the genre of seventies folk rock, he uh, continued to, or he would be also hosting all of these different artists of the time at their house just for music nights where um, Jim again was still not making a ton of money because that first contract that he signed as a writer um, even though after he released you don't mess around with Jim and was you know that became the number one album and so many songs were hitting the top of the charts he was still operating underneath that songwriter contract. And mm. so he wasn't actually getting the money um, right. or the revenue that his music was actually producing. And so they, they're living super modestly and they're hosting all of the big names of the day um, to their, to their house. And they're just having these music nights. And it's funny cause you know, we've talked about Laurel Canyon, which is, you know, a magical place in Greenwich village and in uh, New York, but Jim Croce's house was just a small little extension of that where James Taylor was a frequent guest. Arlo Guthrie Mm -hmm. was a frequent guest, a dear friend Mm of his. Um, and you know, these different artists would just come together and just play music and, uh, it just, yeah, it was just like a magical time. And I think that was one of those things where, um, Jim definitely aspired to a successful music career. Like music was his life. Um, and even though the money wasn't coming in how it, you know, was how it should have been spending time with these different artists, uh, was kind of a, a taste of that lifestyle for him.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. He, he had incredible name recognition and, uh, a lot of respect from the people who, yeah, like you said, were the, were some of the leading artists of the day. So, he was the real deal. Um, and you know, Tyler and I were talking earlier this week and we were thinking, what would this guy have done if he would have had a actual career that wasn't cut so tragically short? Um, imagine, I mean, again, we've got basically two and a half years worth of his concerted effort is his entire music catalog.
0: Uh,
1: imagine if he were still writing for the last 40, 50 years Um, it's hard to imagine that he wouldn't have potentially eclipsed you know some of those absolutely iconic American singer-songwriters like James Taylor um, and and, and others in in just their amount of number one hits and stuff like that of course you never know Um, there there are a million variables in that kind of theoretical equation but if, if he would have followed any sort of positive trajectory from where he started off, he was going to be a, a you know absolute pillar of, of American folk sound.
0: So because his career was so short, we can actually um, summarize it pretty quickly. Where we see that in 1972, he releases You Don't Mess Around with Jim. And then in 1973, he releases his second album, Life and Time's which has his iconic song, Bad, Bad, Leroy Brown. And then later on in that same year, in 73, he releases his third and final album, I've Got a Name, um, which has that title track on that album. Again, one of his most famous songs. And that's it. It's those three albums. They come out within a year and a half of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of that, we tragically lose him in just a freak plane crash incident. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so again, yeah, like you said, he has three albums. He was a star of a, mu- of a musician for 18 months. Right. And so it's, it's uh, and, and here we are still talking about him because of the number of his songs that have lived on. And so to be able to just like sit here in 2020 and just wonder what, he was just scratching the surface when we lost him. And what could have happened or to his career where he could have gone what we could have been blessed with music wise um is a game that you know we just we just can't play because yeah we'll we'll spiral down so many rabbit trails but it is it is so unfortunate um for his family and just for him as a man because again like we said he was a beloved great guy but also uh, for the music world we lost um we lost a good one
1: Yeah. He's, he's 30 years old. He's incredibly young. Uh, he's got a, a son who is not yet two. Um, and right. He's, he's 18 months into an incredible, incredible, um, meteoric rise in, in, in popularity and in recognition. Um, he dies the day before his third album is released. Um, yeah. And the, the date that he passed away was September 20th, um, 1973. So, um, here we are September 14th. Uh, that's when we're recording this, um, 2020. Yeah. And we're still talking about, um, this artist and his, his songs are, um, diverse in their, you know, their, their, their stories, first of all, like, so he's, tr- he's continuing that actual folk tradition of singing stories, yeah. putting stories to, to music and they range from kind of fun and campy to incredibly moving uh, and, and thoughtful. And he, and he transitions those seamlessly, you know, like they, they all sound like they are from the same voice and the same tonality even though they have an incredible range of emotion from uh, reflective uh even melancholy and, and hopeful uh, to to just kind of goofing around um, and so I love that that emotional range that's in his music as well
0: an interesting point that I think really speaks to his character um, is the actual story of his um, of his eventual death was that as we're saying, he kind of came up into stardom overnight. Uh, he releases his first album, and the songs just start climbing the charts, and um, he becomes this star, you know, within the year, right? And so we see, on his tour uh, for his first album, when he's still just you know uh, just trying to promote his own music, he's supposed to go down to this small little school in uh, southern Louisiana. And he, uh, he couldn't make it uh, because of just some scheduling conflicts. But he promised the school, I'll be back, right? Whenever my schedule allows for it, I'll be back. You fast forward one year, he's released a second album. He is now at the absolute pinnacle of success. Everyone knows him. And he is on this massive tour for his second album. And as you mentioned, he's about to release his third album. And he had a free weekend. And he said, I still have to go play that show at that Louisiana college. And so because he's a man of his word, he goes down to this small podunk school. They're paying him $700 for the gig. This is a guy that's selling out arenas. Right. They pay him $700 for their basketball stadium that only holds a few hundred people. Like This is a small show at a small school that originally got onto his schedule because he was a small artist now he's a superstar he plays the show uh and you know hangs out with the students i was watching this interview with uh you know now some of the students there uh one of the guys uh, maybe it's president of the student body or something like that he actually was a he was the one that picked jim up from the airport and then eventually dropped him off right right and he said i borrowed my dad's convertible to pick up Jim Croce. And here we are driving through the back streets of Louisiana and he has a grin ear to ear on his face riding shotgun with me just like a 16-year-old kid with his buddies just driving around like Jim Croce was just so down to earth. He plays this show and uh, what actually what eventually happened later that evening was as they're flying out of this very small country airport there's a grove of pecan trees at the end of the um, runway. Right, and the plane on takeoff just didn't get high enough in time, and one of the wings clipped the trees, um, and the the plane went down. And all I think there was five or six people on the plane. There were five people,
1: and well, yeah, five others, Jim and five others. Yeah,
0: yeah, and uh, everyone was lost. It was it was tragic. Um, and that's and that's how we lost him. And but what I was trying to say at the beginning of all of that is he passes because of him trying to be a man of his word, right? Right. By scheduling in this super tiny show that he had no business going to play. But because he was a man of character, that's what led to his eventual demise. And I think that just, you know, speaks leaps and bounds for him as a man, as well as a musician, but especially as his his
1: character of a man. Also, he has probably one of the best mustaches I've ever seen. So... He's got so many things working for
0: him. Yeah, it's strong. It's strong, for sure. Uh, Definitely part of his success, I would probably say. He's up there with David Crosby.
1: So, I mean, yeah, you think about that, though. Like, how rare that combination of incredible talent, incredible work ethic, very Mm down-to-earth, person of incredible character, a person that everybody says is a joy to be around, always in a good mood, it's like, yeah, I mean, you, you recognize that it's just not the, the his family or, or music lovers who lost, but like the world lost something special yeah. uh, when they lost Jim Croce. So, um, yeah, it's kind of one of those um, shake your head and, and just uh, wonder why these things happen, but also incredibly grateful for the legacy that, that he left, not only in his music, but also in his family and that good stuff as well so
0: yeah he was a good man and a, and a great musician so now let's uh as we wrap up this conversation we can go to the segment that uh we end all of our conversations with where we are talking about where to hear them now where we we're trying to find um a few just different contemporary artists uh where we hear the sounds still lingering and the influence is still lingering um as an on-ramp for new listeners. Um, and if you don't mind, I know Nate usually spearheads this, but I actually came with some notes of my own that I thought were interesting. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on these. I'm just saying, both of them are a little bit of a stretch. Um, but I think, but I think I'm onto something here. The first one being, uh, definitely, uh, stylistically, there are some differences, but where we hear some of Jim Croce's direct influences as I'm going to say, on Casey Musgrave's album, Golden Hour. And if you're questioning and ruffling your brow, hear me say that uh, from her own mouth, she said that before she wrote that album, she was listening to a ton of Jim Croce. He was like her main muse behind, behind that album of hers. And so even though the styles and the sound is different, you can find some traces, or at least, if nothing else, Uh, she herself was saying that like, it was his music that brought her um, to writing some of the songs on that album. So I thought that was super interesting. Um, And she's obviously, you know, beloved by by so many now. And so um, when you listen to her, when you listen to this Jim uh, Croce's music, trying to find those similarities would be cool. And my second one is Um, As we've been talking about how Jim Croce, a lot of his biggest songs are he's writing, he's telling stories, Uh, just fun stories of different people and the, you know, the different circumstances they find themselves. And one that kind of came to me, uh, as well as just like a really great storyteller through his music is that of John Mayer. Mm -hmm. I can think of a handful of his songs. Um, where there's definitely a lot more going on in them than Jim's music. Jim's music was always pretty simple musically. Um, but John was, uh, but John, you know, he has a handful of his big songs that are telling stories. Um, I, I think of, there's a few songs on his album, Born and Raised. And, you know, I'm thinking of some of his earlier stuff like uh, Victoria or Comfortable, things like that. Um, we're just songs where he's just telling stories of relationships and of people. And, uh, it's with that, I'm thinking, Oh, that's definitely, um,
1: a play from Jim Croce's playbook. I like those. You did good. You. Um, I kind of have one that's also not a perfect one for one because, um, Jim, Jim kind of, like we said, he kind of exists in this folk rock, um, maybe even, like a little bit janglier, like maybe some roots and, and country even. Yeah. Um, And, but definitely there's some blues elements too. So he's kind of got this kind of really unique sound. Um, But as far as singer songwriter, who is an excellent vocalist and guitarist and songwriter who had a meteoric rise to success, I compare him to an Ed Sheeran, you know, in the ability to just overnight it goes from i've never heard of this guy to man is it just me or is the radio won't stop playing this dude and he's creating albums annually yeah uh that are full of hits uh so that's what i would that's what i would say is if you want to see a kind of that that modern equivalent um and hopefully ed sheeran does not die in a plane crash tyler i would be sad to see that
0: uh yes as would i um and i think i have one more uh One more connection, a little bit more on a somber note, but one that I just think really speaks to his, uh, to Jim Croce's, you know, musical influence is uh, again, music and styles uh, completely aside, but I think of the impact that he left. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about the last couple of weeks, just the similarities in his career to that of Kurt Cobain with Mm -hmm. Nirvana. In the same way, again, I know the music is completely different, but in the same way that Uh, Nirvana is this, you know, is this legendary grunge band from the '90s? But they still they only released like four albums, and their career was only like five years long before Kurt Cobain passed.
1: Yeah, and And Cobain's like 34; it's like the same age, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. And so, like, I just keep thinking of like this really haunting question for myself of um, the, the question that like seems to have been asked to both you know Kurt Cobain and Jim Croce you're going to have the world spotlight for three to four years. Mm -hmm. Um, What kind of mark are you going to leave? And Mm -hmm. both of them like really took that call and said, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And they both have left music that, you know, uh, people will still be listening to Nirvana 50 years from now, as we are listening to Jim Croce's music still. And so I think uh, obviously the music's very different, but I think, um, there's like this level of uh, impact that, you know, only the very special few are able to leave. Um, And so I think Mm -hmm. that's just like a good question to kind of leave us with is, you know, like leave an impact uh, in whatever field you find yourself as best as you can, because we really have no idea how long we're going to be able to do that. And Jim Croce, I think is a textbook example
1: of someone who took up that call and took it seriously. He was incredible. I still love his music. I wish we had more of him, but I'm thankful for what we got. So that's going to wrap us up for our conversation right now. Again, we are going to
0: be joined by our guest here in just a moment where we are going to be talking about Jim Croce's first album, You Don't Mess Around With Jim, which came around in 1972. So stick around and we will be right back for that. extremely excited to have our guest with us here today. He's a dear friend of mine um, and you know I'm just excited to see him and just be able to discuss some good music with him Um, and that is my dear friend Daniel. Daniel how are you doing today man?
2: Great it's awesome to be here.
0: Nice yeah we're glad to have you here. Um, We're glad to uh, talk about some Jim Croce with you and you know just the great music that he has made and so as usual on our show we are here to really pick apart and dive into uh, probably from top to bottom Jim Croce's most successful album um, obviously his other two had some standout hits on it but this one's probably the most uh, chock full of some of his big songs and so um, and that is his 1972 album you don't mess around with Jim and so do it you don't do it be- I mean it. you're gonna learn You're going to learn. So, uh, you know, I'd love to just start off Daniel with you um, just on like what your first thoughts were, you know, not knowing what your relationship or knowledge of Jim Croce's music was before this show. Uh, I'd love just to hear like what your first impressions were of the album and just like what kind of stood out to you.
2: Yeah. So my childhood was like my parents loved all these types of uh, artists and everything. So as soon as I, I I honestly didn't know the name, But as soon as we started listening to the music, I was like, okay, yep, I know this guy is. Yeah. Um, So it it kind of was like nostalgic, I guess. But um, I don't know, it's just feel good music. It's a guy with an acoustic guitar. And Mm -hmm. yeah, that's kind of my vibe anyway. So it kind of plugged in, kind of things. Music has come a long way from, uh, you know, all these music today has all these like electronic things and everything involved. So
0: yeah
2: see where music was and see where it is now from someone like Jim Cochie I think it's pretty cool
0: super cool yeah I'm glad that um yeah I think music is such a a powerful um uh it's such a powerful form of of nostalgia and so yeah I'm glad that you're able to tap into that um because that just adds an extra element to the music outside of what we're actually listening to that's cool
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Nato, with this album and uh, specifically what was something that really jumped off to you your first few spins
1: Yeah I'm I'm with Daniel it's it's fun it's a fun album like it's easy to listen to um so it's hi- highly accessible um I I love the world view that he has you know uh it's it's chock full of optimism and hopefulness yeah. and you Know, even though there's a recognition that sometimes life is hard and sometimes you get knocked down, uh, there's a there's a almost like a gritty realism to it, but there's also just this defiant, kind of silly, joyful at times hope about tomorrow. I mean, tomorrow's going to be a better day, right? Yeah, day. Um, So, so there's something about that that I think is awesome. You know, you've got this, um, mustached you know, handsome, very approachable guy who's talented uh, saying, you know, I, I have walked uh, a lot of road. I've, I've done a lot of different things. I'm very in touch with how the real world is, but I still in the midst of that say better days are ahead of us than behind us. And so that's, that's kind of a really fun, um, it's a fun anthem to kind of carry forward, whether you're in 1972 or 2020.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, this, you know, I think, um, I was thinking about this today as I was trying to think of some of my thoughts for the recording. Um, and I think I've landed on that. I, this is probably my favorite album that we've listened to through this project. Um, and I landed on that because of how difficult it was for me to like, think of my favorite song. I'm like, well, it's a, you know, this album has like, um, this album has 12 songs and I really love nine of them. So I guess like, that's probably my favorite album kind of a thing. Uh, but the thing that like just really stood out to me was um, uh, like you were saying, Daniel, it's so stripped down and it's so simple musically. Um, but he's so creative with like such uh limited par- moving parts, right? There's only a few different things that he's doing or that he's using in terms of instruments or, you know, um, different, uh, uh, sounds that he's creating, but he's so creative with those things. And I think I just really love that. There are some songs, uh, where there's like no rhythm guitar, like the leading, the driving instrument is just like the consistent bass Mm rift. And then he's just playing lead acoustic over the bass rift. And that's the song. And I'm like, oh man, uh, (laughs) there's no guy just like chugging on the four chords to like make the song flow. It's just like, There are things like that where I just, I really, really love them. And I, and I love watching um, old performances of his um, because listening to some of these songs and just like the complexity of the guitar parts, Mm -hmm. uh, he, he plays those lead parts while singing the song. And so it's not like in my brain, I'm thinking, oh, you're in the recording studio. You take all day to track out the different songs musically, and then you'll come in tomorrow and you'll sing over them. Uh, you just watch him sit on a bar stool and he just plays and sings at the same time. And I'm like, oh, yeah. wow, you're just incredibly talented is what I'm picking up from this. And so I think that's what like I really liked the most about the album is just the creativity. Um, and also, I think it really did just kind of show his um, musical abilities, because we see in the next couple of albums, his band grows. Uh, there's a little bit more production value. And, you know, whether that was a style choice or whether it was a budget choice for his first album, it was very simple and he still made some incredible songs from it. Um, so I think that's what I liked the most. Um, yeah. So let's talk about those songs specifically. Nate, if you want to share some of your, your just like favorite top tracks, I'd love to, I'd love to hear some of them that popped off for you.
1: Yeah. I like uh walking back to Georgia. Um, I, I, I like, um, tomorrow's going to be a brighter day. Um, there's, you know, the, and how can you not like the opening track? You don't mess around with Jim. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's kind of funky. It's kind of fun. Uh, it's a little bit tongue in cheek and you know, he's, yeah, we, we had mentioned before that that, like, he's not singing about himself. He's singing about a fictional character named Jim, but it's, it's hard to ignore that the album's, Jim Croce in the title track and the album is named "Don't Mess with Jim," and so, um, but he's not he's not like vying for a tough guy angle, you know, uh, at yeah. all. Uh, but it's it's kind of just this fun. I just appreciate his willingness to go whole hog into these fictionalized narratives with people who have names, and he's kind of giving you background about the story, and it's kind of unfolding in front of you, and they're almost little like three minute mini motion pictures where you can totally get the scene that he's creating yeah, uh, and, and feel like you can enter into it for a minute and then, and then enter out and enter to the next one. So uh, those were the ones for me that, that I was returning to time and time again. Yeah. I think that's
0: really good. The amount of detail that he's able to fit into some of those, some of the story songs is I, yeah, that's really true. Daniel, what were some for you that you
2: really liked? Um, I liked uh, there's rapid Roy Mm. of of all the songs on the album. I feel like instrumentally that was probably the most complex and it was fast. Yeah. Um, And um, I think that just like, I I did watch the, uh, there was a YouTube of uh, some of his performances and that one was really interesting. His, his partner, Maury Milhausen. Yeah. uh, He was, he literally used his mouth to sound like a car before he started uh, as like a practical effect over that, uh, to start out that song. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, that's good. Um, but yeah, just like if you listen to the guitarist on that, like like you said, he's just going to town, and it is like so upbeat. And uh, yeah, that was cool.
0: Yeah, that's good. I really like uh, just, it's again, it's like just a silly detail that he threw into the song. But the fact that he's like, I'm going to describe this tough guy, he has a tattoo on his arm that says baby, right? Yeah. And just like the additional line of, and he's got another one <laughs> that just says, hey. Yeah. And I just think that's like the funniest, one of the funniest lyrics I've ever heard. Of just like, also, let me tell you about his other tattoo. It just says, hey, and <laughs> I'm going to throw that in this song. I think that's so good.
2: Yeah. Yeah, totally. And then on the first track, um, is it? So I, I wrote, I found, I was looking at a lot of stuff and I was saying how, Uh, don't mess with jim is about a guy named jim walker and he was at a pool hall and this guy was like a pool shark and he was nobody messed with him and all that kind of stuff i thought that was pretty cool because i did think it was about jim at first coachy right was deceiving yeah Yeah, like oh his name's jim you know you wouldn't know that without like reading into it
0: yeah and that was like that's obviously like a classic that um a lot of people would know if they put that on but i I thought it was really funny because the first time i listened to it in preparation for this episode um not to spoil but you know it's like 50 years old now so um but uh big jim walker gets upended by you know this new guy in town named slim and i love because at the very end it says you don't mess around with slim now right like everybody changes their allegiance to like that's the new guy and uh, that really caught me off guard at first because I was like, whoa, wait, what in the world? And I did the same thing where I had to like read the lyrics and I was like, oh, Slim's the man now. Nice, good job, Slim.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very, very helpful of him to have a rhyming name
2: yeah. with Jim.
1: <laughs> if you were going to challenge this Pokemon gym master for the right to own the gym, it would be very helpful if you had the same rhyming name. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I think so for me personally, uh,
0: you mentioned it. Uh, I, you know, I think I just love so much his uh, vocal phrasing in his songs as well as uh, just like his vocal melodies as well. He does a lot of just kind of like the soaring and, you know, dips down real quick and, you know, reaches the top of his uh, range real quick. And, I, you know, I really loved his different melodies. and But I think uh, Tomorrow Will Be a Brighter Day was definitely one of my favorites. Uh, just because I, I just actually really loved the way how he sang specifically the word tomorrow. I just think like, it just kind of like soared right into the chorus and I really loved it. Uh New York's Not My Home is good. Walking Back to Georgia, of course, is a classic. Um But through this whole project, again, I mentioned earlier that I was excited for this episode specifically. I and mean, then it was based solely on uh Jim Croce's song Operator, yeah. which is- it's one of my absolute favorite songs of all time, and was heading into this episode like the only song I knew of Jim Croce's.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so, of course, it's it's my favorite song of this project so far, including all the artists. Um, and it's, I think it's just because one, it's just a catchy; it's a great song. Um, but two, what I love about it so much is that in 2020, it's still viewed as such a good song, and it's like this beloved song that Jim Croce wrote of you know, just like this heartbroken guys his girlfriend ran away with his best friend. And so, you know, like it's very, it's not unlike so many pop songs that are on the radio now. Um, But what I love so much about it is that in 2020, people see it and recognize it as a good song, but it is such a snapshot of the time period it was written in. He writes this song where he's calling into an operator to connect him to a, a, a phone line in California, right? He's calling into an operator. He's reading the phone number on the back of a matchbox. Right at the end, he says, "You know, like you've been helpful. You can keep a tip. Like you can keep a dime." Right, you tipped the uh, the the telephone connectors. And so, like the fact that um, I'm able to listen to this song in 2020 and love it and think it's creative and good, but that it's literally written about a time period and a life that I will never live nor experience. I think that's like the highest form of praise that I can give to Jim Croce where he like mm. literally wrote an immortal song that like is a very mortal time period, right? That time doesn't exist anymore. Um, but we're still able to recognize it as a good song. Mm. Um, and like, that's why I'm like, wow, that song itself is so good. But too, I'm just like, Jim Croce tapped into something special when he wrote this album, because like that song uh, is just, the song is just a special work of art and
1: that's, I I loved it so much. That's good. I, it's almost like, um, yeah, what are some other old jobs that you could fictionalize, you know, like, could you imagine writing a song about talking to, the guy who shoes your horses you know like and yeah. that's still resonating across time and space you know yeah you're totally right and i th- there's the other thing i love about that song is yeah like it it goes from he's trying to reach this girl to this is like a therapy session for him and he just needed yeah. someone to process with yeah um and that that you like get all of that you get the journey that he goes on from you know from desperation to kind of almost relief that that he's gotten it out there and that he's he's moving on and he's able to um Mm -hmm. to kind of start a new chapter and stuff so yeah there's that's a lot to accomplish in a little bit of amount of time with with what he's done there
0: yeah it is and that song is just another example of what i was talking about earlier where you watch live performances of that and if you're listening to the song the chord changes are so quick. Like you were saying earlier, Daniel, in different songs, he's like constantly moving his fingers. And if you watch a live performance of that, he's sitting on a bar stool playing lead and singing the song. And I'm like, man, you have to ca- like uh, compartmentalize your brain in such a way that like, this part of the brain is like, I'm just gonna sing the song. This part of the brain is doing incredibly difficult guitar work. Uh, and that's just, again, another, Reason why we respect him as much as we do.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh well, the photography in me, the album art on this one, mm-hmm. um, actually an outhouse on his property that he's yeah. looking at this like looks like a castle window almost. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought is super cool. And it's something that uh like he was in talking about like his history, like this was his house in New York, and that's where he spent most of his time with his wife when his kid was born and all that kind of stuff. Um this house, I don't know if you guys saw that where he had parties and he would bring over people. And yeah. Said that he would bring home. He loved bringing home contrasted people to parties. So he said he, he invited a KKK member and a priest. And there was, hey. like, things like that to like get the party going. It's like, but they loved him. It wasn't that he was trying to like stir the pot. He actually like brought people together. And then all, also these other huge names uh, were there also. And he would just play music. And he kind of made a community um, based mm-hmm. off of music, and it doesn't matter who you were, or, like what you believed in. You just hung out with Jim Croce. <laughs> yeah, which like
0: would be the dream, right? And it's, yeah, no. you know, like, we were talking earlier, just you know, talking about his work ethic and just how like music was this guy's life, and so he played so many shows during, his, you know, those those couple years of his career. And um, but the one thing again that I always just like really liked about him and Uh, was just like his dedication to his family, his wife and his son. And the song on this album, um, Time in a Bottle, which is like one of his top five songs, like everybody knows that song, um, is written for his son, um, which is like so hauntingly, uh, it's just like a haunting foreshadowing, right? Where he writes this song just saying, I wish I could spend eternity with you. And then Mm -hmm. he passes away before his son even turns two. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, fifty years later, his son's able to have that song, right? Like that—that's just like a really weird detail of a story. That, like, you know, yeah, uh, it's tragic that it happened, but it's actually really beautiful that he was able to get this album released before uh, before he passed.
1: Yeah, yeah. There, there is some freaky stuff like that, you mm-hmm. know. You know, he uh, his song. I guess I will have to say, "I love you" in a song. I mean, like, think about that. Think about the fact that this, the album and the single that comes out the day after he passes away is I got a name, you know, like, don't forget me. I've, I've yeah. got a name, you know, uh, and it's talking about how he inherited that legacy from his father. You know, that's the point of the song is that I've, I've got this thing that transcends my life uh, that was handed down to me that yeah. I will hand on. Um this is not a fun fact. This was like it breaks my my little heart about it. Is that um after his dad passed away, AJ Croce um he went blind because of the abuse that he experienced from his, his mom's boyfriend. Oh wow. Um and he eventually got sight back in his left eye, but AJ Croce can only see out of one eye because of this abuse that he experienced. And so um yeah, you think about all of those things, and but yet he, A.J. Croce, is an incredible singer and songwriter in his own right, and he's definitely carrying on that legacy um, that, that he received. But, you know, to go from I've got the best dad in the world to I've lost him there's this yeah. other guy in my life. He's terrible. Um, and yet reclaiming that and, and still getting to inherit mm. the legacy and the name that is, that his dad left him. Uh, there's something really powerful about that.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. I did not know that that's, you
0: know, a tragic story. Um, the downer it, Tyler, I didn't mean to come in with downer news. No, it's okay. It, it only, it only, you know, rounds out the, it only rounds out the conversation more.
2: Yeah. I didn't know that the why um but i did see where he was blind and in an er- interview he was talking to some lady about how he he started playing piano because he was blind and he was inspired by um oh names are escaping me but the the artists that play piano because they can't you know play they can feel the chords and that's how he kind of aj got inspired huh. um keep going with that and he didn't play the guitar until later in his career uh, like his dad
0: it's a great collection of songs um and this album specifically is just like one that obviously has lasted the test of time but it has so many songs um again like i personally didn't know a lot of these songs you said that you recognized them uh but it is kind of funny that in the same way when i started listening to jim croce's music in preparation for this episode Um, I actually did recognize a handful of them that I just had no idea who it was. It was just like one of those things that was, it was an untitled song in my brain. I knew the words to the chorus and I'm like, oh wow, this is a Jim Croce song. And a handful of those were on this album. So I thought that was super funny. Um, And I think only speaks to more of his ability to, you know, influence. uh, Because like, I knew his music without knowing him or knowing that it was his music right but it still existed in my brain so
2: yeah super it's just so even um I thought it was cool my one of my first instincts when you told me who this artist was going to be that we were going to talk about was to play it for my parents and say without saying the artist uh do you know who this is and just to like hear the response yeah I was like oh Jim Croce that was the high school song that our our senior class left out on uh, and that was the um, time in a bottle, yeah. uh, fitting for that. But it just was like, yeah, the way that he was able to capture time and like literally make it so that people felt, uh, I don't know, so united. I guess. And it was yeah. such a a simple thing. Like his lyrics. I would say, if there's anything that um, I found I like the most about him was his lyrics uh, were so relatable, and it just. It just the flow of how he uh, made the song go and it like made you connect to it. Um, For us to not even really know who he was, we could listen to a song and just plug into how relatable his lyrics were. And I thought that was awesome.
0: That's really good because, like, obviously those kinds of things transcend. And so it's cool where we're able to still, you know, pick out those different truths, even though we're in a completely different time period and a completely different day and age, they still remain true. So that's cool. So I'll ask you, Daniel, our last question um, that we ask all of our guests when they come on the show. And, you know, it's kind of, I guess, the most important part of the show. It's why this show exists. Is, um, do you think that uh, kids my age and the younger generations should still be listening to Jim Croce's music? Um, and why or why not? What are your thoughts on that?
2: Um, I have thinking a lot about it because it's something that, um, and I think you had also previously asked, who else is like him and I was really yeah. trying to crack my brain and uh the artist I I was kind of like floating around a few where it's like Jack Johnson John Mayer uh, yeah. the lyrics of like, 21 Pilots like the way he writes his songs not so much how it sounds but like the lyrics of all those um I think it's just it's hard to ignore uh, an artist like Jim Cochie because of how um how simple and everything, like I said, uh, it just kind of plugs in, so like relating it to those artists now, I think it's something where you can't ignore him mm-hmm. uh, and I would say it's it definitely is some somebody you should listen to just to kind of see where music has come from, and uh, he's got an awesome mustache, so you can't ignore that either
0: he does <laughs> he has a great mustache which directly translates to success so yeah <laughs>
2: um, no that's really
0: good that's really good i um you see like nowadays a uh, super popular trend especially like within you know college age people is you love that acoustic coffee house playlist that you can pop on on spotify or something like that where it's just always stripped down and it's just a guy or a gal with a guitar um and when i think of um one like you were saying where that sound came from and also when i just think of someone who is just really really good at doing exactly that like the answer is jim Croce you we are just talking like his music, super simple in terms of what is being used. He uses it in a creative and, and a, in a complex way, but like he's, it's not like he has a ton of toys. Like he has his guitar, you know, for him to be able to relay these, um, fun, you know, lighthearted stories and to be able to bring a creativity to his music and even, and so some of his songs um relay this depth and like as we we're saying, like this um connection point of just emotions and experience that he's able to relay even 50 years later. It's an artist worth listening to because he's, you know, he was the trendsetter. And also when you're listening to music, and music's such a great way of um helping us process things, like again, this is a guy who, even though it's old, um, he was, you know, working through some of the same things that we do today. And so at that point, I always think it's going to be valuable
2: music to listen to. Right. And he's like, when you said struggles, I feel like I don't listen to country music and it's like notorious for that type of like genre of struggles and things yeah.
0: like
2: that. He's yeah. is probably the most like country artist that I would say I would actually listen to because it's like this, this spin on like, uh, I think what Nate was saying that it's like, uh, it's the ups and the downs, mm-hmm. and how to push through and how that became his like, anthem almost about how uh, life is hard, but, you know, tomorrow, and it's just like, I think that was cool. It just became more about pushing through and uh, his story has so much of like, getting up and out of um, you know his. I was seeing how his New York uh, album record label was like trying to take his money and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, he was not wanting to um, publish his songs. He's writing songs, but didn't want to publish songs. And then the label, um, around that time, he was uh, just found out he was going to have his son, and then he had all these songs, but the label was still there. And he just, just despite all of that crap, he wanted to move forward and play his music just for the love of yeah. the music um so yeah it just be- became that most like country anthem um uh, but just feel good acoustic good times music
0: um, yeah i agree uh he definitely can have a a, a sound to him at times uh leaning into that country folk sound um but I'm with you. He's probably, he'll be as country as I'll, as I'll get in in what I spend my time (laughs) with. No
2: shame to country people, but yeah. (laughs) No
0: shame to country. They, yeah, they have, they're, they're fine for what they do. But uh, Jim Croce is, yeah, he's a great artist that we see. His music um, is still just, you know, so um, important, so recognizable, even though he had such a a short and uh, a tragically short music career. his his name and his music still lives on um so i think that's super cool and just shows again his level of uh uh, creativity and his skill set for sure and then his impact that he's left so jim croce's music definitely worth the listen we highly suggest that after this episode you pop on his 1972 album you don't mess with jim And as we wrap up our conversation for tonight, I just want to give a special thank you to my dear friend Daniel. It was great seeing you, and it just means the world to me that you agreed to come on the show today. It was awesome speaking with you. and You know, I'm super excited for our upcoming episode, which will come out in a couple weeks, where Nate and I will be right back here talking with some new friends about different artists as we continue to dive in deep and discovering these different artists for the first time that really came to prominence during 70s folk rock. We hope you stop by for a listen because at least for this summer the forecast is always high of 7